On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Eichert and Lehman, ESPN's Dusty Dvorak joins us to talk about the biggest stories in college football. We talk about Oklahoma State's players returning to campus today. We discuss the details of what a six-week preseason could look like in college football, and we examine the letter the Power Five commissioners sent to Congress regarding name, image, and likeness. In Football Guys Talking Basketball, we discuss the NBA's plan to return to play with 22 teams. We give you our winners and losers of the weekend and talk some Women's College World Series in keeping it local. As always, we finish by answering a few of your Twitter questions. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those and you'll find us. All right, our man Michael Oste will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, June 1st. Now we're recording this on Sunday night. And a whole lot is going on in the United States right now. We're dealing with coronavirus. We've got protests across the country. But we're going to try to take your minds off all of that for a little bit. Now we'll touch on a little of it. But we're here to talk about sports, especially college football. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to talk about college football. And to help us do that, it's our pleasure to be joined by Dusty Dvorak. You can see him on ESPN. You can see him on News 9. You can hear him on WWLS, the sports animal. Anyone that has listened to this podcast from the beginning is very familiar with this man. Dusty, how we doing, man? Doing great, boys. Uh, long time no talk. Great to, uh, great to join you fellas again. I hope everybody's doing well. Unfortunately, really, I guess things have happened, but no, no action yet. But, I mean, we're in a different world than we were last time we talked as far as uh, sure. people showing up and stuff or at least having days to show up. But we still have had no action to speak of yet. But we're close, boys. We haven't, but I'll just say I feel like almost daily, uh, definitely weekly, more and more news, positive news. Uh, trending in the direction to having college football, a lot of football on time coming up in the next several months, which I think I speak for everyone on the show. That is fantastic. And let's keep rolling in that direction. There's absolutely no doubt about it. I'd like to not lose uh, my other two jobs, seeing I already (laughs) lost one. I wouldn't like to lose all three personally, guys. But so we we mentioned it. There's, There's different schools. They're bringing guys back for voluntary workouts at different times throughout the month of June. OU is July 1st. We know these, these dates that have been established, but Oklahoma State is ahead of the game, right? Because Oklahoma State's coaches and staff, they got tested for COVID-19 
on Friday. And the players are allowed to return to campus Monday. Now, Spencer Sanders, uh, I was interviewing him on my SiriusXM show, and he actually told me that this was going to happen like 10 days ago. So Mike Gundy has been planning this for a while. This, this is what he has been telling his players at Oklahoma State. And they're going to quarantine them on campus for two weeks, and then they're going to start June 15th. Uh, I mean, the day that the Big 12 said voluntary workouts can start in the conference, Oklahoma State is going to hit the ground running. And frankly, I think this is a great job by Mike Gundy. I, I really do. I know back when he said, hey, May 1st, and we all kind of poked fun at him, but he's been very proactive, and he's got his guys back on campus. I mean, he, he's going to have a head start on a lot of the competition, and usually in this sport, boys, you're just looking for any competitive advantage, and this is one of those. What I like about it, they didn't have to say nothing. They got a task force put together. They assessed the situation. They looked at what their resources were, what the best plan of action is, and they went with it. This is completely different than when Mike Gundy spoke. What was that back in April uh, when this was so fresh, very new? Uh, and I, I commend him, Oklahoma State, because I'm going to tell you this. I don't think they're going to be the last Big 12 school to start when the Big 12 says they can start. As a matter of fact, if I'm guessing, I bet there will be more most schools starting on April the 15th. So – and the other thing I like about this is having the kids there for two weeks to quarantine where you can try to make sure that they actually did a quarantine. You know, Oklahoma, they're going to do a virtual quarantine. It's a little different. You're putting a little bit – I mean, all of it you're trusting your players. I don't know if it necessarily matters. But to your point, Gabe, uh, they get there tomorrow and they're going to start their 14-day quarantine. And then two weeks from tomorrow, they're going to hit the ground running. I'm sure we're going to debate. We can get into it. What do those two weeks mean? Or in the case of Tennessee, what does that three weeks truly mean? I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and say I think it's the difference in winning a game or winning a, a conference or winning a national championship because I don't know and I don't know if anyone can truly know. But I do know this. If I had the option as a player or if I was a coach and we're putting, you know, health – uh, I don't want to say we're putting it aside, but all things equal. I want as many days to prepare as I can possibly get, plain and simple. I don't know, again, I don't know if it necessarily means you're that much better, but I, I would rather have those days. I, you've got great facilities at Oklahoma State, a lot of these places. I would rather have my college football players training on the, that equipment overseen by my staff, eating on the training table that's provided by them, and – I just – so good. I think, it's, I think it's good, it's positive, and I'm glad that we're going to start to get these college kids back on campus in the Big 12, Ted. Here's the one thing I think is interesting. You know, if you're a player, what have you always been told? Like, the difference between winning and losing is, is just it's, – it's an inch, right? It's does your foot – It's a sprint. It's yeah. a sprint. Does it's, your foot touch the chalk or are you a couple inches short? That's the difference between winning and losing. Right, so we that's been pounded into everyone's head. Should but, I just put the Al Pacino speech in it, <laughs> any given Sunday in right here? That's what I should inches. do. A man in front of your face. Six yes. inches in front of your face. That's exactly it. I mean, because that's what we've – I mean, as football players, 
I mean, that's what we've been, it, it, it's like ingrained in our soul that it's, it's all the fine details. It's the little bit, it's, you know, the extra couple reps in practice that your competition's not getting. It's the, the doing a little bit more in the weight room. And then here we are, we're going to be sitting back tapping our feet while all of our competition is out there, you know, doing work. And it just like Dusty, like I can't, you can't quantify that three weeks later start than Tennessee is going to equate to, you know, 14 points on the football field or a couple extra first downs or turnover. You can't do that. But the problem is, and we've talked about this all along, it's going to be the first thing that's brought up should you lose that game and you know don't lose the fourth quarter exactly (laughs) do not lose the fourth quarter if if if, here's the thing if you look if if you're having penalties uh if your guys look out of shape losing the fourth quarter uh just everything's not clicking that's what's going to come up but i mean at the end of the day it's the situation that they have it's it's kind of what they what they've decided to go with you got to make the best of it right and you've got to there's got to be a lot of trust in the players to be out there making sure that not only are they getting their, their stuff in as far as knowing their football, the ins and outs of what goes on offensively and defensively, but you can't start July 1 like you just got back from spring break and you're fat and out of shape. They need this team to show up July 1 trimmed, ready to roll in shape so they can hit the ground running. Yeah, but good good it, luck with that. It, right. It's it's showing up uh after the longest spring break in the history of college no sports. Doubt. The most I've, epic spring break ever. That's what these college coaches uh t- we all talk to them. You know, I mean they know they don't know. They talk to their guys, you know, they're doing 10 weeks of uh, of Zoom meetings a week. So they see them. They don't know how they're working. I mean, there is a trust, there is an accountability on those players more veteran um you know players that have taken this time seriously it's going to pay dividends and especially at a place if you're starting later in the game uh like Oklahoma is they're going to find out pretty quickly like you can't have guys that have trouble keeping weight on come in really light and July 1 be where you're starting like no they need to already be there right you can't have guys that have problems being overweight now come in July 1 overweight because now you're that much further behind the game. So it'll be interesting from the Oklahoma standpoint to see what happens. Back to Oklahoma State, and this is one thing I want to say kind of for both Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. I I choose this, um, which, by the way, I think Oklahoma, we'll see, but I think they're going to be one of the last schools uh, and and probably the power power five. five. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I I think that we'll see. There may be some others, but I mean across the country. I, I don't know many places will start as late as Oklahoma. And I'm not here to bash them. They've got a plan. They've got their advisement, and no different than in the real world. People, I've got really good friends that aren't comfortable coming out yet, that they're staying at their houses, and that's cool. What, and that, that's up to them. And I kind of feel the same with this. But I do want to say that I don't think um, the SEC starting June 8th, I don't think Oklahoma State having players uh, tomorrow and starting July, June 15th is r- ridiculous, okay? I don't think it's crazy. I just left baseball practice with my son. We had 12 10-year-olds, and we just had baseball practice. And um, I, I went and worked out at my gym yesterday, right? So, I mean, I was at a, I was at a practice, and Heathen. I've been working out at a gym. Not much unsimilar to what these college kids are going to be doing. On, I might tell you, much safer places than, than gyms that I go into 
or probably even environments that I'm putting children in. So I just want to make sure we keep that in perspective. I don't think that I, I don't think that these schools, Big 12 schools, places opening up in June when when they're allowed. I don't think that they're running any more risk maybe than Oklahoma would be in July. But if your tolerance isn't there yet, I'm okay with that too. I'm not here to bash, but I just want to say I don't think that we are having these college teams rush to get back. I think that they've waited their time. And, Ted, this is just me personally. I do think it's safe, given if they're going to have all these things in place, for them to get back and start to get to work. And then I think as weeks go on, they're going to get more and more ability to get you know these kids more at a team practice type of setting as we work our way through July into August. I agree 100%. You know, I, you know, I, I've been fighting this for a long time that the, the data just, really says – Just say it. Just say I mean, you wish OU was doing what Oklahoma State is doing because <laughs> I will say that. I, that, I wish OU was doing what Oklahoma State's doing, Ted. Well, here's one of the problems with, with coming back July 1st. Um, you know, everyone's expect, like, what do we do if someone tests positive? Like, what, what's kind of the protocol? Um, you know, are we going to have everything in place for the testing and all the different there's, – there's a lot to be worked through. If you come back June 8th or June 15th and the first 10, 15 days are kind of a you-know-what show, well, you've got time to get your ducks in a row before the season starts. If Oklahoma comes back July 1, right, and they've got to work through some things to figure out exactly what's going on, I mean, you're out of time, right? You're going to be starting right into to some type of – like we don't know what the, the fall training camp schedule is going to look like per the NCAA just yet, but you're out of time. You've got a tiny window where everything has to go perfectly according to plan, and if it doesn't, you've got no time to make up or change what you're doing. The the – Interesting thing for me is Oklahoma State's players, they're, they're all going to be there together, right? And, and I assume they're going to test those guys. They're going to get those results. And if I know anything about those college football players, they're going to start doing stuff together on their own. Now, it, it's not going to be organized through Oklahoma State and the facility. They won't be able to probably to go lift in their weight room but they're going to find a field to work out all together and start building that bond and building that camaraderie tomorrow ready to. Yeah, exactly. And getting tomorrow. ready tomorrow. to go. Probably may. They've probably <laughs> already been doing it. I, I don't know if you know this, but their head coach, he had a kid play at Stillwater high school. You think some of those players might end up on that field at Stillwater high school tomorrow. I'm just, I, I'm just saying they're going to have a head start, which I think is a good thing. And I would not be surprised if, and it'll all be player driven, right? Because we all know that coaches would never influence anything like this, right. but they're going to be doing stuff together They're, I mean, Spencer Sanders, he's already been driving back and forth. Uh, I mean, when I talked to him, 10 days ago, he was in Owasso. They're throwing routes to his wide receivers. Right. Like, well, that's I mean, what he was doing. That is what they are going to be doing in these two weeks of quarantine. Well, They're going to be working. That's why I don't – I still – I saw Spencer Rattler throwing balls to all kinds he's, of different players. He's out been in posting Arizona. videos for weeks, which, by the way, 
I got no problem with. I don't either. He looks good in the videos, by the way. But I'd rather it be to his receivers, Ted. That's what I'm saying. Is timing there? No one is. I still haven't had anyone explain to me why it's safer for him to throw to random wide receivers in Arizona than it is to his guys on campus in a controlled environment where there's no one around. I, I still and no one's answered that question, and I guess they're not going to. We'll just see what happens whenever we get here July 1st. I mean, and, I don't know. And, just kind sorry, of how to, it is at this point. And, and to further – so to your point, um, though the workouts start June 15th, just being there June 1, being around each other, we all agree. So, you know, Hell, you're we'll going to get the- some type of work done. Hey, the Oklahoma, the intramural Oklahoma. fields are open there at Oklahoma State. There's some big ass fields there. They'll get Oklahoma, some work in. Their players aren't even coming back till June 28th, June 29th. Okay, again, it's a virtual. It's and and we don't know. There may be kids on campus right now. There may be guys living here. I'm not exactly sure everyone's status, but that's the other thing. There's not. They're not doing a two week on campus quarantine like a lot of places are because that is a good way to get them back, get them around each other, know they're not there doing get something. Get them tested. Get them tested. And so – but, I mean, really, a lot, most of these tests now – I mean, you can get most tests done in like an hour, right? I mean, I think a lot of these are going to be pretty quick. So, I think once the Oklahoma kids get in uh, – but to your point, Ted, then that's when the two-week window starts. And now, all of a sudden, you're already that much – you're already behind. And if you had to get further behind, it could be problematic. I'll just say this in closing. I'm still going to pick Oklahoma to win the Big 12 championship. So, having said everything that we said there, okay, I still think Oklahoma, uh, with or without, whether it's two weeks against Big 12 opponents uh, or it's three weeks against their SEC foe, which I think is going to be a heck of a game, Tennessee's physical up front. Um, I I just – we all agree, and I think we all think there is – it does play a role – and in a perfect world, you'd love to see Oklahoma starting when the other places are. But I don't think it's going to be a factor that's going to change the way I feel about the outcome of the season. Here's the only reason I, I feel like I, – I, for the most part, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I, I still think Oklahoma's going to win the Big 12. And how much is it going to matter? I don't know. It's hard to say. But like, I would say like in a typical year, if Oklahoma – for whatever reason, didn't report until July 1, and everyone else reported, you know, 1st of July, 8th, or or a couple weeks earlier, I would say, well, that's not that big of a deal. But since in in a year where you haven't done anything except for what what they have, like one, two practices in the very beginning of March, uh, untatted, yeah. I mean, since you haven't done anything since the beginning of March, that's the only reason I'd say in this specific scenario, I, I do think that it's more than just missing two or three weeks. I, Time I is do money. Think, yeah, I think it's because I mean, we're talking about a very small window. If you look at it, Dusty, you're the math guy. If, if most of the country is, we'll, we'll call it June 15th, and everyone's going to report like, uh, you know, we'll call it August 1. I know there's a little bit of difference there, but, I mean, what percentage are you missing? I mean, you're missing like, is that 30% close to it? Uh, it's a quarter. Yeah. So, I mean, quarter. it's two months' time, and you're taking, I mean, four, you know, it, you're looking at eight weeks. It's two not, weeks now, it's this is the way I'll put it. it it's not insignificant. Exactly. And o, OU, they've dominated, right? 
five in a row. Now, is this, is that 25%? Is this what closes the gap and makes it one of the most interesting seasons we've seen in the Big 12 in recent history? Because that's one way of looking at it, Dusty. I'll tell you this. If, I mean, this is just the way I'm kind of wired. Uh, if I was a leader in the locker room in Stillwater, I'd be talking about that. Oh, for hey, sure. Hey, and they got a lot of talent coming back up there. As a matter of fact, I got them number two in the Big 12. If you think if I'm not reminding them who's working in Stillwater and who's not in Norman, you're crazy. Same thing in Tennessee, boys. I'm not kidding you. I yeah. mean, that's a massive game week number two. Uh, and, again, I don't know at the end of the day if it really matters or not, but it's something Can that we- I think – you can use a bit of motivation. We we just need to fast forward to that OU Tennessee matchup because that, that's the one we were all wondering, you know, if this is going to affect it because Tennessee they they got talent up front. O line, Gabe they got and Gabriel, talent. You're, the, you're the O line guru. They got some dudes, man. They they got a couple of that guard. Players. I mean, that guard is he's one they of the best in the country. So we'll. Well, how about this too? I mean. Playing Tennessee, I think it's going to be a great game, just like you guys do. What's the one thing that you feel better about? It's at home. Well, I mean, how do we know what that home field advantage is going to look like? I mean, if you're talking about a 50% stadium, and I don't know, I still fully expect we're going to play in a sold-out stadium. But there are, are people that think you're going to play in a, in a half-field stadium, and that just that takes away from that home field advantage as well. Yeah. Uh, did you did you did you see the statement from? Do you have that queued up by Mr. Weiberg there, uh, Gabriel, the um, deputy athletic director at Oklahoma State? He, he oh, kind of mentioned that he, on Friday. He they're they are playing in full go in Stillwater. I mean that's that's their plan. He said they they've looked at some other things a little bit, but right now their intention is to be a hundred percent capacity. There in Stillwater, you know. <laughs> I, uh, I was waiting on Ted there. Yeah. In fairness, their full go is 50%. Usually, wow. Right? Hey, Iowa, same thing, though. Uh, yeah, kind of just Iowa. go outside of college football. Uh, Gary Barter, their AD, last week, he said something uh, very similar. So, I, I don't even know where I stand on that. I don't even know if I, I – don't know if anyone knows. Um, but it seems – like something that I would have said a month ago, there is no way in hell. It seems like that it's it's not out of the realm of possibility at this point. Right. Now, the guys, the the players are coming back to campus. Now, they're going to start trickling in, and the voluntary workouts are going to begin, and the strength and conditioning work is going to get rolling, and they're still – the NCAA, they extended uh, the virtual meetings. So – the guys are probably going to be working out together and then meeting virtually, which, of course, makes a ton of sense. Now, we'll see if that gets adjusted. But now, all of these football programs, you, you have to start planning what's next after this portion. And according to Yahoo Sports, Pete Thamel, the NCAA Football Oversight Committee sounds like it's going to recommend, because remember, recommending is – the only power they actually have. They are going to recommend a six-week preseason football camp model for this season. Now, supposedly the details are being worked out, and they'll probably come out this week. 
the schedule we will be different for teams that are playing that August 29th game as opposed to the September 5th, but six-week preseason football camp for college football, what does that exactly look like? That, that, is, the, that is the important question because the term NFL-style OTAs keeps getting floated out there for the first two weeks of that six-week six week, six program. And there's kind of some differences in NFL-style OTAs because there's three phases in NFL-style OTAs where one phase is just strength and conditioning, and then the next phase is workouts on the field work, but the offense and defense stay separate. And then phase three of NFL OTAs is unpadded practice, no live contact, which is the biggest – bullshit ever because guys are just slamming into each other not wearing pads but because you can do seven on seven and nine on seven and 11 on 11 is there 15 actual ota practices yeah i was was gonna say yeah i mean gabe i don't know where where i was anyway in chicago ted i don't know how it was where you were we had a off-season program but we had 15 actual otas they were organized team activities which were essentially spring practice with shells that's, that's how it was in Chicago, we, and it was two hour, 15 two-hour practices. On the two. rules, gentlemen, have changed. Uh, you can't wear pads at all. You can't wear no shoulder shells? pads. No, no shells. shells. Not, not, I don't mean those. Spider I mean, pads. Spiders. Oh, yeah, spiders, that's yeah. Mean, that's what I meant. That's yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. So, you, yeah, it's, but now it's 10. Uh, 10 unpadded. They call them unpadded. You, you yeah. can wear the spiders, but yeah. no live contact. So, when – we're talking NFL-style OTAs for the first two weeks of a six-week program in college football. What version are we getting? Well, my it, guess, it, it, w- it would be the, the phase three where you've got, you've got unpadded practices where you're on the field. I think what, what are OTAs, it's like you can't be out there longer than an hour and a half, right, and from stretch to the – and you've got certain I thought it was two when we did it. No, Is it I two? That may be I, right. That's what it used to be. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I bet it's like that. It's going to be a shortened, un, unpadded practice that, you know, you can still have walkthroughs and stuff before and after and then still do strength and conditioning. Because under the, the current guidelines, you, you know, obviously you wouldn't be able to get that in. No way you'd be able to do that and practice that long and keep those guys there that long. So um, I think it's going to be like a step down from training camp for a couple of weeks and then probably step up to a, a closer to actual training camp for maybe an extended period, like three or four weeks. Just so, uh, yeah, I would, I would, my guess, I mean, we're all speculating here, but I think if things go well with these openings, July one, when Oklahoma's starting, I think then we'll see uh, conferences, the NCAA open up even more is my guess. So then I think you could really get into some actual, I think we'll see uh, starting in July, like two weeks of like off, you know, strength conditioning program. And then I think midway through July, we're going to see everybody go two weeks of OTAs. And I think just like Ted said, you keep your, uh, you, you know, you keep your strength conditioning going during the OTA process and think about it. This is essentially a new substitute because there's no spring, right? This the spring's this, 15 practices, that's right? right. So, Probably then, just so, make that up here. That's what this is. And, and you know, really, it's going to be like just a crash course 
for especially young guys. It's going to be mean, horrible. <laughs> it, it will it's be. be. It's going to be awful. That is, if I can go back to, if there is a silver lining, or if you want to look for some positive um, about when Oklahoma's starting, these people that are getting here June 1, by the time camp ends, you're going to be like, damn, get me out of here. <laughs> but I think most places, once you get there, you're staying, right? You're not going anywhere. You're locked in. So if there is anything that does allow them, they'll be a little fresher, maybe for at least the start of the season, it won't be such a grind uh, on them in that regard. Uh, but I, I think that um, – so you get your those, and then you go right in once August starts and you get your fall camp. And that's, that's kind of what it's going to look like. And so it's a six-week camp, but really those first two weeks, I think they can be extremely beneficial personally. And let's face it. Uh, they're going to be full-blown practices for the most part. There's going to be some walk-through element. Uh, I think up front, you know, it won't be quite as physical. But for a lot of the work they need, for the timing, for the quarterbacks, wide receivers, for young quarterbacks that haven't played, I think those 10 practices are huge as opposed to stepping in right when camp starts, boom, month later, let's go play football. So it's going to be different, but I think that that's a smart approach. And six straight weeks of football – it should have these guys, you know, pretty ready to go. And that's going to be also these coaches being smart with these players, right, guys? Yeah. Because they're going to get their asses worn out after two straight well, months of this stuff. And then you got to get ready for the season to start. One of the things Gabe and I talked about, I, I think maybe as last week, is, you know, if, if you're going to cram all this into six weeks, you know, that's good. And I think it's going to be a good crash course. And those guys are going to have all the practice time they need for a season. Uh, to get started, but if you have some guys, and especially with a, a really shortened strength and conditioning offseason, you have guys out there that start getting injured, that have uh, hamstrings and groins and calf muscles, and now you've missed two or three weeks of this uh, really condensed practice time, that's going to cost you quite a bit. I mean, that's those Great guys point. are going to miss that. a Great bunch point. of very that's, valuable time. That's why – the way that I would do it, and I know this is going to upset both of you, but in those first two weeks, this is what I would do. I would go, I would alternate unpadded practice in, in having afternoon film. So you'd have an unpadded practice, OTA style, offense, defense, the whole thing, as much time as you can. And then you bring your guys back in the afternoon, you watch the film. And then the next day, you go through a strength and conditioning workout in the morning, and you do an offense and defense walkthrough, no helmets in the afternoon, and you alternate those, right? So you're getting an unpadded practice and film, and then the next day, you're getting a really tough workout and a walkthrough, an no. easier walkthrough. <laughs> and then you would get – Sunday the club, or something. The country off. club ain't happening, man. This is grind time, baby. Yeah, and it's it's gonna be great when you're grind timing and all your dudes are hurt. It's, it's gonna time be great. Training room because you you guys are assuming that these kids have been training at a high enough level, and some of them I'm sure have guys, but we know some of the guys we played with. It, like they're they're just not gonna be in good enough shape, so. I'm more worried about these guys knowing the concepts and maybe doing it at a slower speed and getting their bodies right. And yeah. I know that's, that, that's not how you guys would do it. I know because the way you're looking at me right now. <laughs> well, but those no. first two weeks, you, 
you almost, you, you don't want to say ease them into it, but you don't just want to take the pedal to the floor and go full throttle and have a bunch of guys have a bunch of soft tissue injuries. I, well, I you, think that would be a mistake. You've got two weeks before that, right, that you can assess your football team and figure out kind of what you're working with there. If, you, if you're Lincoln Riley, okay, and your strength conditioning staff comes to you and says, Coach White comes to you and says, man, they're just not ready. We're going to have to dial it back, maybe. That's only if someone implores that upon you. Because to me, there's no substitute for being on the field, put in real life, and as close to full-speed situations as possible. And I don't know. I, to me, I hear what you're saying. And it's a, it's a delicate balance, right? Because at the end of the day, you want to be healthy. And, you know, when you're not on the field whatsoever for weeks at a time, that can be catastrophic. But, man, I would, I would push it as far as I possibly could because – just to try to be that preventative when you're already that far behind. You're still getting like – Of the utmost importance. I think it's – I don't know, man. You're still getting – I think in that two weeks, what, you would get something like eight unpadded practices and then a walkthrough on every day. So you're getting tons of reps, but you, you got to make sure that when you kick off on September 5th, you got all your guys. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's obviously got to be a balance between uh, putting the guys in a meat grinder and then – or not going hard enough and, and having guys not prepared, not calloused, ready for the season. Uh, I, there's got to be a fine balance there. For me, I prefer to be on the field in short bursts where it is fast, where everything is at full speed, and then we get out. I, I hate whenever we've got what an hour we got two hour practice and well we got thirty more minutes. Let's just keep getting stuff in to get it in. I mean, I think during this time, if you cut it back, I don't think that that's necessarily a problem. If you're you're really making good, like you're getting good uh, headway in all the things that you need to do in your limited amount of time, and it's really fast and it's really productive. Just to be out there going through. I mean, not that they do and and. You guys know that for the most part, everything is very productive at, at the uh, Division One college football level. But, I mean, I would say I would trim back how long you're out there on the field on a given day. I'd have them out there on the field as much as I could every day. But, I mean, as far as daily, but I would probably limit the amount of time that they're actually on the field. But while we're there, we're getting it in. I like that, yeah. Yeah, and and then you look. So if those are your two weeks of OTAs, then now you have to ask yourself, okay, what do these next four weeks of actual training camp look like? Because remember, what the rule is, you can only have—is it two two a days? I mean, it's something. I don't think you can do any of them at all. Zero, homie. Zero. Zero. There's zero. You you can have like a walkthrough though in the afternoon, right? Yeah. Yeah, but that's. I mean, yeah. You can have a walkthrough, but that's one practice. Walkthrough, we're not counting so, walkthroughs as practices. So the the interesting part becomes how do you – because remember, you're, you're not having the normal strength and conditioning lead up to this entire thing. So when you're practicing in training camp and you don't have these two-a-days and, you, and you've got these walkthroughs, do you ramp up the workouts more than you normally have in the past so that you continue to work on these guys' bodies while they're practicing, or is that too risky? I mean, is that something where, okay, maybe we're pushing them too much here in the month of August leading up to the season? I mean, these are 
these are questions that every staff across America is going to have to ask, like, how much do we push these guys and when do we dial it back? Like, can we just go full throttle or do we have to find this balance? And I think there's going to be a lot of coaches and strength and conditioning staffs that are going to have to adjust on the fly with this because each team, each guy, I mean, it's going to be a difficult process. They, they've never been in this situation. And you guys know, everyone in the football world is the ultimate creature of habit. I mean, yeah. you're here they, at, at a certain time. You have this schedule. Everything's scheduled. No one has the schedule for this. No one's done this. So to think we know that, you know, what these guys are going to do, what these staffs are going to do, I don't think they'll even know until they see how their guys are responding in August when they're going through camp. Here's what I'll say. I, and I agree with, with, with everything. You got to be smart. You got to have your guys ready. You've got to find a balance in there. Um, but I will say this as a freshman, I went through 17 straight days of full pad two a days with no day off, no unpadded practice. It was brutal as hell. And I know these guys can, can handle it. I mean, You've, there's got to be a balance. You want all your guys healthy. You want them ready. These, these are the best athletes in the country. They can take quite a bit. So, I mean, there, there, there is the right balance there, but, and you've always got to, you know, push it right to that edge without getting a bunch of guys banged up. But um, the team that gets it right, you know, that's able to practice efficiently with a bunch of healthy players and know their system and they're fast and they can hit and they're calloused for the season. I mean, that's going to be the team that wins this, the, the, the war this year. It's going to be a, a drawn out deal where, you know, it's a season that we haven't had the preparation like this in the past. So everyone's going to be kind of guessing on it. And the team that gets it right is going to see the dividends pay off. Ted and I played back in a, a different world, 20 20- 20 years ago, Ted, that was like a different time in, it's crazy. in training camp world. Uh, because I remember, and y'all did win a national championship somehow after putting your body through 17 straight days of two days. And then the next year, what we did, like, it was something like 14 out of 16 days or something. Like, we had a couple of days off, and then it started to taper. But they training changed, camp, I think they changed the rules the next year where you could only do, what, two a day, one a day. That's right. Or every, it was like two, one. We, I think we like two, one for a while or something like that. But I I totally agree with Ted. Like what I would say is a lot of these places you have a base to go off of because I mean, from a time standpoint, training camp's going to be the same. Like to me, I know it's a six week training camp, but I mean, to me, it's kind of like you put it in sections. You got two weeks to start July. Did you really got your workouts? If all these things pass, Two weeks here, your OTAs, you're gearing up, and then training camp. And you got a month-long training camp. And I would go, I, I mean, I would go based off of what's been working for you. The part that I think could possibly change is with the, the strength part, depending on, like you said, Gabe, where guys are. And I do think what you said is right. If you're a good strength coach, I think you're really going to look at it, and I think that you're going to not have a blanket thing for everyone. But it's really going to be custom-fit for different guys because you don't know where everybody's been and you're going to start to figure out, okay, this is how serious he took it. So you may have from the, from the weight standpoint, a little bit different and have their workout slightly uh, tweaked. Um, but I think as far as on the field football, Ted, I, 
you've got these formulas in place and they've been working for you for a while. I wouldn't go making drastic changes to anything like that. No, I agree. The, my final thought on it about the injury thing is we, you don't want your guys injured and you don't want overuse injuries. You don't want soft tissue injuries, but there's a fine line. And Dusty, you know, I always talk about this. Guys have to be calloused. And you have to be able to take a beating. Your body has to be able to take a beating. And, you know, that's why you have to there's – there's a balance of having a, uh, a training camp where guys are fresh and moving fast and things look good. You've got guys healthy. And then being too brutal where guys are banged up. You've got shoulders. You've got uh, guys that are missing time because of, of, you know, taking injuries, taking shots. But – the body has to get used to it. It's a brutal, brutal season that lasts forever, and you got to get these guys calloused. You can't take it too easy, or you're just going to be pushing the injuries from training camp yep. into the season. That's right. You, you have to make them feel as miserable as they're going to feel right. yes. in early November. Yeah, you, you, you just got to – calloused is an interesting way of putting it, but uh, I know exactly what you mean. We've been saying that for a decade, Ted. I think it's the best way to put it. You really do. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you have to mentally, uh, emotionally, physically, well, physically spiritually. You have, to, you have to show your body. You have to kind of break your body down and say, "All right, baby, this is what you're in for for the next four months. Saddle up, partner." And yeah. I mean, that's just. It's. It sounds crazy to probably some, but I don't know, man. That's. that's there, just there's kind of a reason why. Nine on seven, the third day of training camp, whenever you're in full pads, is brutal, and everyone's going as hard as they can. And the next day you wake up, and it's like, what in the hell happened to my body? I have been hit by a bus. Right. And then you fast forward two weeks later into the the season, you're doing the same nine on seven, (laughs) and it's as brutal as ever. And guys are, you know, just, you know, smashing each other out there, but – you walk yeah. away okay, and the, you feel a little sounds, bit better the next day than you did. How, back how many Advil? How many Advil it, you popping by, the, by week two of training camp? It, it, it sounds uh, bad, but five Advil. Okay. You you Let's just go. have to you have to get your body ready for the trauma that it's yep. going to go through. I know that sounds kind of drastic, but that I mean that's the truth. Uh, all right, boys. Uh, the other big story from the weekend in the world of college football. The Power Five commissioners, uh, they took it upon themselves to send a nice little letter to Congress about name, image, and likeness, asking for national legislation that would eliminate state-by-state rules, which they think could put some schools at a disadvantage. Um, Okay, I, I, I think we all saw this coming. They want a blanket rule for every school so they don't have to deal with 50 different rules. And they mentioned some things that they want, some suggestions to our fine legislatures there in Washington, D.C. And this was their, uh, these were their recommendations. They want schools to be unable to pay for players' name, image, and likeness endorsements. And it sounds like they want that to apply to sponsors of the athletic programs as well. Okay, sure. They want a term of academic progress before a student athlete can start making money off their name, image, and likeness. 
They want players to be prevented from endorsing tobacco, alcohol, gaming, things of that nature that they maybe think go against the values of college athletics. And they want players to have to disclose their name, image, and likeness contracts publicly and say who their agents are. They are trying. Uh, they're, they're trying their best. And they said, hey, time is of the essence because we got all these states that are about to pass their own law. So please, we know you're busy there in Washington, D.C. with the coronavirus and these protests. But can you get our name, image, and likeness thing figured out? Please. Please. Can- I'm going to jump in here real quick, Ted. I just got – am I – something wrong here. Why do we need federal legislation for this? You don't. Because ne- they don't want why? each state to have their own rule okay, because they why, think it's a recruiting advantage. The, why does the NCAA, who's the governing body, why don't they just put a rule in? Why do we need to get federal and or state governments involved here? Because they've already been – bullied by state governments okay but bullied by california and florida but but then they and they gave in though so that's what i'm saying why don't they just step up who gave in the ncaa they're they're looking at it they're going to vote upon it right they're going to allow it now all they have to do is put some rules in place that's what i'm asking is why can't they set the regulate regulations why are we asking the government to do it i mean seriously and right now of all times They've got a gajillion other things that they need to worry about than this. Or am I, am I missing no, something? No, no, no. I, I, I totally know what you mean. But I, I think the Power Five commissioners see it playing out this way. The NCA comes with their recommendations and their structure, and they present it and say, hey, these are the rules. And then a bunch of state governments go, no, not good enough. And they proceed with the legislation they're pushing through their state. And then all of a sudden you've got different rules in each state. And that's why they wrote a letter to, you know, Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi. I mean, they realize they need to get the federal government involved because they don't think, and their assumption is correct. The NCAA is not going to influence these state legislatures because the NCAA has got a horrible reputation with these people. And, and well, they're going to say, nope, not good enough. And they're going to push what they want to push through in their state Really, it's the Power Five conferences. I mean, honestly, I say the NCAA, we sh- I mean, they don't really do much. It's the Power Five conferences. That's what we're really talking about here. And so, I don't know. It, I, well, I hear here, what you're saying. And I know you want to talk about more so the items that they mentioned more than should it be the federal or state government. I'm just saying if there was a way to keep the government out of it, I wish they could do that. I guess that's my bigger point here. Well, and here's the thing. It's none of the government's damn business how these kids make their money. It has nothing to do with the federal government. It has nothing to do with the state government. It has everything to do with the NCAA. We're not ta- – like the, the laws that California passed and then what Florida went and did it, those, those laws are meaningless. We're talking about – whether you are eligible in amateur athletics, okay? And that is decided by the NCAA. So if the NCAA wants to change their guidelines as to what they're going to say the players are, are, are going to be able to remain eligible with, they need to issue that. The reason they're going to state or federal governments is to try and get to, to 
decide this thing in the court of public opinion. They feel like they're going to get a bunch of people behind it that say, well, there's no way these kids should be able to, to make any. None, all of that really is meaningless. If the NCAA wants these rules, they need to, they need to put those rules in there. Now, what, I mean, what do you think it says about the NCAA's approach that their Power Five commissioners are writing letters to Congress going, hey, can right. you go ahead and just do something and not wait on the NCAA to do something? Uh, there, there's here's clearly the a disconnect you, there. Here's the problem if you get the federal government involved. So the federal government is going to write legislation that says a kid that's in school is able to make money on an endorsement deal, but it's only after he has a term of school or it's only if it's a, 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 a organization that we agree with. It can't be alcohol. It can't be tobacco and it can't be casinos. They're going to segment out an, a one little bit of the population from the rest of us. That's not what the federal government does. It's not going to happen. It's, I can't imagine is, it happening. No, this should have nothing to do with the federal government. This is about like whenever they marched in front of the, um, in front of the Senate or the Congress, Major League Baseball, to have their steroid uh, you know, deal. It's like, what, what are we talking about here? Why is the federal government even wasting their time with this crap? Well, they, I think in that instance, they tried to say for what? The children of America? For the steroids? Uh, anyway. Um, it's, I think it's going to be interesting. I, again, that's why I just started with saying, if there's a way to keep the government out of it, I would love to see it. I hear what you're saying, Gabe. Um, and I, it's very fascinating that the Power Five commissioners, which really run college football, they run college football. <laughs> that they're going to the federal government instead of who is really their, the house that they sleep in, the NCAA, and they're basically saying, we don't want to mess with you. But I, I do feel like it gets pretty hairy once we start asking the government to step in um, and kind of tell everybody what to do. So as far as what they, what they said in there, I, I don't think that some of those things are out of, the, out of question. I find it odd that they put alcohol, yet we're seeing – universities with big time money deals Bud with, light with, baby with what beer distributors so how is it that the schools can make money I, off the beer but if a kid's 21 years old he can't make money off of them how does that even make sense i, I mean and that, <laughs> that that goes to like can a kid and and you see this with pro athletes all the time right uh, a player shows up for a club night right i mean they put their face on the poster and they end up getting a cut of, you know, whatever's made at the door or however, however you want to make that deal. I mean, you could do that with college football players at bars and clubs in the college towns across America. Like, what's wrong with that? Who cares? What, is that against the values of the Power Five, the values of the NCAA? College kids drink. Everyone knows it. It's the dumbest shit ever to pretend that these kids don't drink. Like, I, I didn't understand that. I was like, alcohol? I mean, really? Everyone sells beer at games now. Like, it's not a big deal. What are we doing? Yeah, I, I, don't, I mean, I, I, I see all of these things, and I think they are – I think they're all putting them out there for the right reasons right? They, they don't want the universities to be sponsoring their own players for a huge amount of money, right? That makes sense. That, that one, makes that one makes sense. sense. 
Um, they want some academic progress, right? They want these guys to come to school. I mean, there's a reason that they're, they're trying to get these guys to show up and graduate and be prepared because we all know the percentages. It's less than 1% of even college football players are going to go on and, and play in the, in the professional league. So they still want these guys to come get their education. That all makes sense. Um, the tobacco, alcohol, I mean, all of these things make a lot of sense. But if you start getting the federal government involved, that's whenever all this stuff has to go away. I mean, that's what's weird about it. Yeah, I think the term's put in place um, because so you don't have people getting deals done before they even get there, basically meaning uh, for recruiting, right? That's a way to try to at least mask it, that there's deals that were already in place and this guy's going to go ahead and have an endorsement deal before he steps on campus. It may be in place, but they're saying, well, at least go for a term, a semester. What's interesting, is that a summer semester? Is that, I'm guessing if you go early, it's that first, uh, you know, winter than spring semester that you're going to have. And then all of a sudden, once you hit the summer, I guess now you can you start. You can do an intercession session stuff. as intercession. a high school right. kid before you even go to that so, first spring semester as an early I would, arrival. I, I would want to know what a term is, but I think that's what that is put in for as much yeah. as anything is to at least have it out there, make it make one layer tougher for it to be a direct reason uh, or an enticement to come to a university potentially. And then as far as the agent goes, I'm fine with that. Like, yeah. I mean, if they, if they want somebody, um, because there's going to be contracts involved, they need somebody that knows what they're doing. So I don't, I don't have any problem with that. And, and what, I don't know why, did it say it had to be made public or just be yeah. made known to them? I don't think that we all need to know in the public these people's dealings and what their deals look like. If the schools need to know for their own well-being so that they can oversee it, I'm fine with that. I don't want to know what these kids are making. And I don't think everybody should get to know. So I actually, I hope that when that last one you said there, Gabe, I hope that that's not something that we're all going to find out about. Yeah, we don't I, know about everybody's endorsement deal that's out there as it is right now. And quite frankly, I don't think we should know. I, I, I would assume when they say they want those things disclosed, that it, it would just between be between the kids in the university, or at least that's yeah. what I would hope. I, that would, I, I, I mean, don't think you would want a co- bunch of college kids knowing how much a student athlete is making it. That, that could, it really could. It, it could put some guys in some bad situations. Uh, I, I do think that there's, there's no way they'll have to disclose that publicly, like as in releasing their tax returns or anything like that, that that'll never happen. But I got no problem with, them having to let you know who the agent is, that's that's fine. That's the way it is with every NFL guy. It's no big deal. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I just thought it was really interesting that the Power Five, they, they went straight to the big boys in Congress. I was like, okay, all right, I guess it's getting serious. We'll see where it goes. I mean, I, I think there's some good stuff here. And I, I do think there there needs to be a way to regulate it and have – a little bit of uh, guidelines as to what exactly needs to occur. Uh, It's just, it's a, this is why it's such a strange road to go down because you're either, you're either amateur or you're not. And if you're going to say that you're not. The the first part of the letter is like, just a reminder, these guys are not employees. These student athletes, they are not employees. They're students. I mean, that's, that's, that's the thing to me. It's like, Either, either you, you're an amateur and you can't make money off, off of this stuff or you're not. It's, that's why it's a weird mix here. It's like, 
we're going to allow you to not be an amateur, but you can only make money based off of what we think you can make and where you, where you can make it. That's, that's kind of the weird juggling act for me right now. Yeah. But there is a lot going on in college football and dusty. It it was so good having you back, buddy. Thank thank you for your time. You're, you're You're so generous. Great to be back. I appreciate you guys allowing the guest seat to be open for me. So um, I have seen some of the guests you've had. Well done, boys. Uh, keep up the good work. And if you'll have me back at some point in the future, maybe I could come back and be a guest on this fantastic podcast. I, I, think, we can, I think we can make that happen. Thanks, big guy. Uh, yeah, can you, can you just remind all the people? Uh, I'll just tell them, you know, by the way, <laughs> Tonight, well, I'd be last night. I hope you're watching. Uh, I'll be on the uh, Oklahoma Sports Blitz with Dean Blevins, John Holcomb. That's on uh, News 9 in Oklahoma City. If you're in Tulsa, that's uh, News on 6, I believe. Uh, You can also check me out Monday through Friday, 11 to 2, on WWLS, the Sports Animal. It is the monsters of the midday. So thank you, Gabriel, for allowing me a shameless plug there. You done? (laughs) <laughs> you think you think it may not matter, but I can what's assure you. What's your Twitter you handle? Matters. Come on, what's your yeah? Twitter what's your handle? Twitter handle? Hey, what's your Instagram, Facebook? At, just get it all at, out there, bud. At Dusty Dvorak, and let me just say, I don't know what's going on, but maybe I've done something evil. My followers are dwindling, like the last several days. Is that is that mean like I, there's bots that are getting cut out of my life? What's going on? Or people just no people all of a sudden decide not to like me? People saw that you left the podcast and they're like, see you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Peace, man. All right, boys. Good chat with you. See you All right. Later. See you, Dusty. See you. Always a pleasure having Dusty on with us, uh, Ted, but let's get to some segments. And since it's Monday, you're going to have a couple football guys talking basketball and there's stuff happening. Things are happening. Adam Silver had a meeting with the NBA owners, and uh, according to Woj, they are going to vote this Thursday, it seems, to approve a plan to bring 22 teams back to Disney's ESPN Wild World of Sports in Orlando, and it sounds like the target start date is July 31st. I'm not so sure why it's so late. Maybe... They, they just want to be really, really thorough, I, yeah. I, I guess. And I, they still need to get some sort of mini training camp in. I, I assume they're going to do it in the cities that the teams are located. I know some teams have talked about, hey, let's just go straight to Florida and let's do it there. But the 22 teams, that means that all the teams that are within six games of the final spot for the playoffs – are going to be in Orlando in that format. That's five from the Western Conference and then one team from the Eastern Conference. Now, it sounds like they're definitely going to play some regular season games because, frankly, that's what the players want. They've made it very obvious. They want to be able to tune up a little bit instead of just going straight into the playoffs or straight into some sort of pool play with big implications. They want to get their legs underneath them and and that's understandable with this big layoff but it also makes a lot of sense because that allows you to maximize the amount of money you make by putting these games on tv and i know they're not going to be high stakes games but 
help maybe some really clutch games break out in the Western Conference playoff race. And, and you do draw some really good ratings. But also, there's not really anything on. But who knows what will be on by the end of July. Now, you got to remember, this is uh, this has a lot to do with them fulfilling those regional sport network mm-hmm. contracts and, and getting all those dollars in and making sure that they don't come after the NBA. Those, those RSNs don't come after the NBA for that money. So I, I'm just curious what the teams that are not coming are going to do, kind of. But I, I'm just excited because clearly the Oklahoma City Thunder will be there because they are firmly in the Western Conference playoff picture. And all signs point to the NBA coming back in this season, getting finished out in a somewhat normal way, Ted. I'm, I love that they're coming back. I love that we're going to have NBA. I love that um, they're going to play some games before we get to a playoff format. I love all of that. But do you want me to point out what's stupid about all this? <laughs> Here's – there's a couple of things. 22? Well, that's a weird number, but more so for me, it's the the July 31st at the Wild World of Sports at Disney. Like Disney World is supposed to open before that. So it's like you're not going to be alone at Disney World. There's going to be people out and about intermingling at Disney World. Like, this format would have made sense if they would have started it May 1st. But they're going to send NBA players basically into a quarantine type of world to play basketball when by that time, uh, my guess is the whole world or the U.S. for the most part is going to be open for business. So that's the weird timing part of it. You would assume they're going to block off an entire area of the wild world of sports, right? Because the wild world of sports, it's adjacent, right? To Disney world there in Orlando. If I remember correctly, I think I played in an AAU nationals there in Orlando at the wild world of sports way back in the day. And it's not like it's within the park, if that makes sense. So it's a separate property and a separate setup now close, but I think you can still, have Disney World doing their entire thing and no, have the I, I wild mean, world of sports completely separated from that. But no, then you I talk about that. the staff and all the uh, – I mean, it's just – there are going to be a lot the, of people around. I get that. But the point is, is like Disney World is opening up and they're going to have like visitors and, and vacationists and tourists coming through while you're sending an NBA team. And they're going to be separate. I get that. But – that's what I'm saying. Like the timing doesn't make any sense. Like everyone else is opening up and then they're sending the NBA guys into lockdown. That's just a weird thing for me. And they're starting July 1st. You know, everyone for the most part, like especially around here, I know some places are different, but like the days of nothing being on and everyone is stuck inside their house 24 seven looking for some sports are kind of like, those are kind of gone. More and more people are out of quarantine. So lots of lots of German soccer, lots of NASCAR, baby. It's just like there was a time where I would have been tuned in at eight a.m. 
on a Wednesday morning watching a random NBA regular season game played in front of no fans. Like, that, I would have been, like, locked in for why, that. that, that why isn't it July 1st why is it July that's 31st saying, like, I mean you, this they can't is like, plan it out the entire month of June that's two months away and, and that's what I'm saying is like by that time like the the numbers are are already going down drastically across the country and it's a good thing but I don't know the whole the timing deal just seems so strange to me like July 31st that's a long and, time from now and and remember this is this is all off you know, reporting from Woj and Shams, but those guys Dude, rarely get it wrong. So, I mean, July almost, 31st. That's almost as far away as, like, whenever the game was canceled at Oklahoma City. Like, this is 60 days away, 60-plus days away. And you go 60 days back, and we're talking about, you know, late March, early April, which, I mean, we're, we're missing a couple of weeks in there, but Do you, that's – do you think maybe the players said, hey, we need time. Like, yeah. we, we need time to get our bodies right before we go there, we quarantine. And I know that, you know, there's reports now that they're going to be able to bring family members, and that makes a ton of sense to me, right? These are who these people have been spending time with anyways. Why wouldn't they be able to come? But at, part of me thinks that this is player-driven, and you know – the power the players have there in the NBA. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if – and it may have been Chris Paul, right, Pres, president of the Players Association that was going, you know what, hey, hey, we need a month to get tuned up. And it seems drastic under the circumstances, but if you're looking at it from the perspective of a NBA player, they don't want to rush it and come back and get hurt or anything like no. that and have something bad happen. So Here's I don't know, thing. but July 31st, that is a long time away. Here's another thing too. Um, July 31st, what does that give the guys time to do? Time to kind of be off, have what I guess would be their, their true off season. Because if you start July 31st, the next year's season, the 2020, 2021 season, Usually starts in what October, Gabe? Middle of oh, October. It's, it, we've talked about it. That thing's going to start Christmas Day, right? So I guess what I'm saying though is, like, if you start July 31st and you're going to play some regular season games, and then you're going to some play some playoff season games, I mean, you're talking about. I mean, depending on how they schedule the thing, they're not going to finish the playoffs in a like. We're not talking about finishing by September this thing's going to be finishing oh. by like October yeah or the it, it's going to finish yeah and that's that's the projected finish date it's going to finish in the first couple of weeks of October so I mean it, they're going to be rolling like even if you just finish in the first couple of weeks of October you're and they start the next season at Christmas you're going to be rolling I mean a little bit of time off and rolling right back into it for the guys obviously that that make it to the finals yeah. or semifinals talk about an extended vacation for the guys that are on the shitty teams in the no NBA. They're gonna, Sometimes it pays off, right? <laughs> I, I don't think they, they're going to lose State, out on much pay. Dude, they oh peaced my. out, like, right away. They're, they're living right. They're living right there in the Bay Area, I'm sure. But, uh, all right, Ted, let's, let's move on to our winners and losers of the weekend. Like our guy Toby Keith says, we got winners, we got losers. Who you got as your winner of the weekend? 
I, it's got to be, and I know we've talked about this a little bit, but it's got to be college football fans. With, with the amount of teams that are about to come back, right, we're right there on, on the precipice. People are going to start to come back. Some already have. Uh, in the next, you know, two weeks, almost everyone in the country is going to be back on their campus. Uh, that's a positive for college football. We've heard a couple of guys, a couple of universities talk about they're gearing up to play in front of full stadiums. And you, the other part of it, you look at some of the numbers in the United States for the coronavirus. I mean, it's, it's dipping really good. Every, if you're a college football fan, right now as we start off the month of June, um, things are looking fantastic for the season to not only start on time, but there's a chance you may start on time and be kicking off in front of a full stadium of fans. Things right now look far better than they ever have for college football playing a, a normal regular season. Yeah, and, and I have had a very cautious, cautiously optimistic approach to this, and I'm getting a little worried that I'm starting to get just plain optimistic about You're it. Buying it too much? It, Don't it, do it yet. That's what – this is what the coronavirus wants me to think, Teddy. <laughs> This is it. It's got us right where it wants us. Massive disappointment. No, no, but I'm, I'm with you. It's really gaining steam and it makes me excited. But then there's that small part of me that goes, just calm down. There's still a long way to go between now and September 5th or now and August 29th when some teams are kicking off. But yeah, uh, I I'm starting to get excited and I'm scared. I'm scared that I'm starting to get excited, but it it's a lot more fun than than not being excited. That yeah. So I, I'm with you. Who'd you have as your loser of the weekend? My loser of the weekend is the dude with the bow and arrow at the protest. Did you see, <laughs> did, did you see this? Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. there's so many angles as to. Uh, to why this is this is horrible obviously you don't want to shoot a bow and arrow into a crowd of people okay that is frowned upon but if you're going to have a weapon of choice that is a horrible way to go because it went if you haven't seen it it went exactly how you imagine it would the guy spins his first round of, of an arrow and it skips you know, aimlessly, doesn't hit anyone, thank God. Uh, but before he can grab arrow number two, yeah, you guessed it, pummeled by the crowd and uh, his weapon taken from him. He could, couldn't get it out of the quiver? <laughs> I mean, I did feel like I was watching a bad episode of Robin Hood or something where uh, I, I just, I thought that that was um, hilarious. He, an scary, old school approach. A, an old school approach. Um, I don't know. I just that guy was what, the weekend. What made you laugh more seeing that guy or seeing what appeared to be the lady that looted the cheesecake factory in Seattle and walked out with an entire <laughs> cheesecake? That was I mean, but, that was unbelievable. That, that's funniest, one of the funniest fucking things I've ever seen. I was dying and I know I know the protests aren't funny. I, I just, but like these two instances, like if you can't laugh about them, come on guys. The funniest part of the cheesecake thing to me was 
the I, I don't know what news station it was on. I watched the clip on on Twitter, and I I think it was CNN, but I'm not exactly sure. Maybe it was even a local station. Not sure, but the lady, the anchor says um, Cheesecake Factory's been the windows broken out. It's been looted. And then you see the, the girl with the cheesecake walking in front and she says, and there's a girl with a, a full cheesecake. Unclear where that came from. What? <laughs> what? I've got a guess. <laughs> well, Unclear where the cheesecake uh, came from. I thought I, that was hilarious. I don't understand. Just grab a box for the cheesecake. I mean, the boxes are right there. Anyone that's ever been to a cheesecake factory. I mean, I, I know you're looting and you're probably in a hurry, but. I mean, I'm sure there was other people. Just grab a box. Make, protect do do? that do you, cheesecake. Do you go find a safe place to set it down and go back for, for more cheesecake or, or raid the freezers? Or I, do you just go sit down and enjoy? How does that usually work? I have no I, idea. I would assume. I've, I've never looted, but I would assume that you're trying to protect, protect the cheesecake at all costs mm -hmm. at that point because people are probably eyeing that cheesecake going, Where'd you get that? You better share that before I take it from you. I mean, it didn't look like the most physically imposing human being walking away with that cheesecake. You got to be careful in those crowds. Yeah, well, it's strange. You know, for whatever reason, when I grocery shop, I'm overly protective of my, my cart like someone's going to take it. <laughs> like someone showed up and wanted the exact same items that I was going for. And they're just going to steal gonna the cart? Yeah, I don't know. I've what got an this odd thing. fear. I'm, I'm always like looking back and, you know, checking my six, make sure no one's going to take my cart. So I can imagine in the middle of, a, of a, a riot and a loot that when people are going crazy stealing stuff that my that weird fear I have would be kicked into overdrive. And uh, there, I'd, I'd be high and tight with the cheesecake, you know, eagle claw on it. I, no I, don't think, it. I don't think anyone would want to mess with you. Uh, in the looting process, if I had to guess, uh, because I know you would come strapped. Uh, I know how you roll when it comes to that stuff. But possibly, here's the other thing: if I'm going to loot, I'm going to be you know, if I'm risking uh, risking spending time in prison, I'm not going to prison over a cheesecake. Okay, no. <laughs> if I'm no. going to loot, I'm being very selective of where and what I'm looting. Flat screen TV. Flat screen, big one, 80 incher, 80 <laughs> incher, at least like you're, <laughs> you're, you are hopping out of that thing, getting it through the doorway. <laughs> All right. Uh, now my winner of the weekend has some local flavor to it. And, and this is a story I read in the Oklahoman. So James Strayhorn is the cross country coach at Edmond North. And last week, he became the first person to run across Oklahoma north to south. So he went from Kansas to Texas. Now, I, I, I don't know if there's someone that believes less in long-distance running than me. I am a huge critic of it. I think it's, I think it's stupid. Teddy. That's why I was shocked. I thought you this was a misprint. You meant to put him as your loser. No, no. But so he goes 265 miles, right, from Kansas to Texas. So he goes all the way across the beautiful state of Oklahoma. And the part where I was like, oh, this guy, he, he seems incredible. It, they report that 
he was fueling himself with a high carb diet, which makes sense. So I'm thinking, oh, he's going brown rice. You know, he's, he's, he's doing it right. No, no, no. My man was eating honey buns and gas station peanuts. Now, I like to imagine that those peanuts came from a Love's. You know, I, I like to imagine that because mm-hmm. it, it seems like James Strayhorn is a good guy and he would get his peanuts at Love's if he's going to stop at the gas station. But over the four days, he did this in four days. Uh, so he started on Monday. He finished on Thursday. On Thursday, Teddy, he ran 75 miles from Paul's Valley to the Texas border. What? Who does this? I mean, but the the reason he's my winner of the weekend is if my man is eating that stuff while he's running, can you imagine the feast he is having this weekend? I I can only imagine. He is probably having one of the best eating weekends on planet Earth. I'm just, well, here's the, here's the thing with me. I love honey buns. They're delicious. I love uh, gas station peanuts. Typically, if I'm going in in there, I'm grabbing at least two or three peanuts. Now, here's the thing. I'm just not sure that honey buns and peanuts are the thing that you really want to put in your stomach whenever you're – I mean, apparently they are, but for me – Gas in the tank, baby. Gas in the tank. I I would be sprinting to the next gas station, if you know what I mean, is what I'm saying. Like, that – they don't – necessarily agree with my stomach very well you you love them but let's just say that the honey buns have consequences <laughs> that's right that's right i hey man uh 75 miles in a day that is an unbelievable feat you, you know After what that already, is how far he'd already gone in in what the the day or two previous unreal and, and congratulations to him record holder right but yeah running that far stupid it, it's just dumb. I, I, I don't believe in it. I, I disagree with that method, but hey, good for him. I can't even imagine what his hips, knees, and feet feel like from all of that. That, that to me, just sounds like they, they the worst feel, thing ever. They feel worse than they should because you shouldn't run that far. It's bad for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's, just, that's just my thinking. That's me. Now, my loser of the week, and I, I don't want to get too – heavy and serious you know we we've done a good job this episode of you know staying on the course talking about sports but my loser of the weekend are college football coaches that did not make a statement about george floyd's death now i i know that college football coaches are in an interesting position right you are responsible for all these kids past, present, and future, you know, the majority of them are black, but you're also the face of a big time business and enterprise. When you talk about the football program and your university, I mean, most of the coaches are the face of the university, but why would you not say something? I mean, when, when you look across college football and just take OU's roster, for example, OU's roster is roughly 70% black. I mean, you can go look at the roster pictures and yeah, you, you'll find it. It's, it's always around 70%. 
black athletes. And I, I just don't understand how a college coach could be responsible for those kids and watch what happened and watch the reaction of the country and watch the reaction of your players on social media and not say a word. I, I, I don't, I don't understand it. I, I think it to those coaches that didn't say a word, I, I think it's going to be used against them. Uh, I do. And I, I'm glad the coaches in the state of Oklahoma said something. I'm glad Lincoln Riley and several OU assistants said something. I'm glad Mike Gundy came out with the statement it, because it's important, man. I mean, it's important. I will never know what it's like to be black. I'll never know. I'll never be able to understand. But just showing that support publicly, when you know that your players, whether it's players that played for you in the past or they're playing for you now or kids you're recruiting, you know those kids are distressed right now. You, you know that they're emotional. You know that they are deeply affected by what's going on right now. I just can't imagine why you would think staying silent is a good idea. I, I like all you have to do is come out and denounce racism. That's not hard. That's not a difficult thing to do. Now you don't have to come out and, you know, say, Hey, I support everyone destroying these businesses and looting. Like you don't have to say that, but to say nothing I think it it says a lot about the coaches that said nothing. And there was a lot of coaches that spoke up and said something. I don't want to make it sound like a lot of coaches didn't, but to the ones that didn't, I mean, what are you doing? I mean, you, you say you care about these kids, you care about your players, and then you you sit silent when something like this is going on. It just doesn't make sense to me, Teddy. Yeah, here's the here's the only thing that I'll say to that. I, I agree with you 100%. Here's the one thing I'll say. Just because a coach didn't put out a statement on social media doesn't mean that he hasn't called his players individually and asked how they're doing, uh, told them that, that he is, is with them, told them, you know, all the things that everyone has said on social media. Um, because personally, to me, that means that means more than than I'm a, with you there for sure. A statement put out there on social media. So uh, the only caveat, everything you said, I agree with. Um, the only thing is, I my guess is there are some coaches that have said something privately to their players and maybe haven't posted anything. But if a coach hasn't at least you know talked to his players. Uh, checked in on them, see how they're doing, um, told him his, told them his thoughts on, as to what's going on, and and um, and and all the all the all the different things that we know. You got to check. You at least have to check in with your players and 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 tell them individually your thoughts and, and ask and, how they're doing. And there were there, you just got to call it how you see it. There were a couple of you guys that were not happy that. The guys on that staff hadn't said anything yet, and a bunch of them come out and came out and said something. But I just, I don't understand. Well, I, mean, I don't understand a, those college coaches that just 
have sat and said nothing. It it doesn't make sense to me. That's a that's another that's another point of it is um, some players, some different. I mean, there was players uh, locally, uh, NFL guys across the country that have have kind of said similar things about if you're not speaking up right now, it says everything that we we need to know about you. If if someone says that. And then you come out and issue a – is it – I mean, has the time already passed at that right. point? Then does it look like, oh, you only said something because you got pressured? That's right. That's why I always think when, when something like that – and this, I mean, this doesn't happen very often, right? When you talk about this type of reaction publicly. But uh, I think it's always best to get out in front of it and to, you know, be – ahead of the game on these type on the, on this type of thing. That's just that's just how I feel and I I don't understand why some coaches just didn't come out and say racism's bad. That 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 shouldn't be a difficult thing to say. All right, all right Ted, let's finish it like usual and and that's with keeping it local where we highlight something going on in the great state of Oklahoma and and unfortunately this version of keeping it local is highlighting something that is not going on that normally would be going on right now. And that is the women's college world series. It should have started on Thursday. It is such a fun and important event for Oklahoma city and for the entire state of Oklahoma. I mean, they had just expanded the stadium. It had been renovated. It looks great. I think they've got the capacity about 13,000. Now, and Jason Kersey, a friend of the show, friend of ours, wrote a great article in The Athletic about it, saying that they were expecting about $24 million for the city uh, for this year's Women's College World Series uh, due to the expansion, and it's not happening. And it sucks because it's an event I really enjoy it's an event that a lot of Oklahomans really enjoy, especially now. Uh, I mean, OU's been going and going and going, right? But Kenny Gajewski, he's he's got Oklahoma State softball yeah. rolling, and I think it's just an event that the entire state gets excited about. I mean, you look at last year, over 78,000 people attended over the course of the 15 games. Uh, and something like 70% or so come from out of town. So it's huge for, you know, bars, restaurants, hotels, you know, the museums around Oklahoma City, and none of it happened. And it, it's just, it just sucks. The coronavirus is the worst. Yeah, it's been brutal. It really has. And I got to tell you, man, something that I never thought that I would get into would be, uh, the Women's College World Series. But the more I've watched it, the more I've grown to appreciate it and love it. And around here in the summer, it's so funny because we have, you know, we have like the friends and neighbors come over during the, the weekends to hang out at the pool. And, you know, there's always golf on, or not this year, but usually there's some type of sports going on. And it's just a you know, it's either on or it's, I mean, it's, it's really not an issue. There's never like can't miss stuff, 
But when the Women's College World Series is on, it never fails that as soon as people walk into the backyard, what's the score? Who's playing? Uh, you know, it's like we're all glued to the TV every single year. And the tournament's fantastic. The, the play is fantastic. Great pitching, great hitting, great fielding. The games are quick. Uh, they're action-packed. The crowds are always great and always into it. I mean, I would say that softball, it doesn't have the biggest fan base in, in all of college sports. You know, basketball, uh, football, obviously, are bigger. But, dude, the softball fans are diehards, and they are into it, and they follow their teams all across the country. It's awesome. Um, I wish it was going on this year, but I'll tell you what, uh, I'm glad the renovations happened. And Oklahoma City, a year from now, is going to be even better whenever all of the people show up to watch the World Series. Because oh. year by year, Oklahoma City is becoming a place that you have to see. And I imagine that, like you said, those diehard softball fans, you know, some of the most passionate fans in any sport, they are going to have that place rocking next year. 13,000, dude. That's a big that's a big amount of people to watch a softball game. I mean, they had like around a, they had like 9800 and some change at one yeah. of them last year. I mean, some big time crowds at Hall of Fame Stadium. It's interesting cuz the 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 softball fields are so much smaller, so I mean, they those people are just going to be packed in on top. That's awesome. Can't wait. Yeah. All right, let let's finish with a Twitter question or two uh the first one teddy comes from jackson moore at jackson moore one on twitter and he says what restaurant slash bar in the okc norman area do you wish was still open i'm going first this is so easy for me there used to be a place on campus corner uh my first couple years in college when I was in a weight gain phase, mind you, <laughs> going from tight end to offensive line, there was a place called Fat Sandwich. Ah. And Fat Sandwich was the ultimate drunk food place. They would put whatever on a sandwich, on like this big hoagie roll, right? And I do mean whatever. You could go I, – I used to get one that was like – it'd be like hamburger patty – Cheese, obviously, so like a cheeseburger. And then chicken fingers and mozzarella sticks with ranch and french fries on a sandwich, Ted. And it was called Fat Sandwich. It was very, very well named. Well, hey, I'm telling you, are the food guy. If you sign off on it, then I'm thumbs up. It's, that wasn't there that I know of whenever I played, but that sounds like my kind of place. It was spectacular, and shout-out to Justin Chasen. He was the one that would always go pick us up, Fat Sandwich. I mean, he loved it. I loved it. Now, and did you order the same thing every single time? No, 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 no. They, they, had a, they had a list of different fat sandwiches. They were all called, like, the fat something, right? Yeah. And they were different variations. There, a lot of them had cheesesteak on it and stuff like that. Oh, it was so bad for me, but so damn good. And it was right there on Campus Corner. So late night, late Saturday, I'm going to Fat Sandwich. Of course I'm going to Fat Sandwich. Duh. Thank God they didn't have Uber Eats and uh, Postmates whenever you're in oh. college. You may have problems. Oh, I would have been 320 <laughs> instead of 300. 
Can you can you think of one? Can you think of one that's kind of you know gone yes. away? So, a million years ago, whenever I was at OU, the bar to go to was Brothers. Do you remember? It was that there. Oh yeah. We, oh, it was. It's still. It may still be there now. I don't know if I, it. I, well, I guess I could be wrong, but I thought that it had finally shut down. But oh, R.I.P. R.I.P. It, to Brothers. It went through. It went through a couple of phases, like. $5 pitchers during the summer? Let's go. In 2000, like my freshman year, I heard, you know, I was, wasn't old enough to get in, but I heard that it was slamming uh, that I, year. And then I think the statute of limitations is over. I think you could say <laughs> you went to Brothers when you were 18 back in the year 2000. Um, thank God that uh, Oklahoma had – we had the – best id situation of every state in the union at one point whenever we were still doing laminated licenses but that's a topic for another day but brothers was like the place to be in 2000 and 2001 then it kind of phased out a little bit and then it kind of came back you know how it is things get trendy but it was always a a, a place that was that was really cool loved the atmosphere there it was it was a good place to go hang out good food so uh brothers would be mine is Brothers really – it's it's not there anymore? I don't it know. Was, I'm, check, I'm checking it was, right now. It was right by that hideaway there, yeah. Campus Corner. I, I, I have no idea. I'm too old now, uh, I believe, to go to Brothers. But, yeah, no, we uh, we spent a lot of time there my freshman year. Um, well, maybe it is still there. Maybe it is. Well, you know what we're doing this season? Me and you, we're pal. We're going to Brothers, baby. We are going to Brothers, brother. It says it is still there. All right. Well, hey, that's fantastic news. How about we're that? going? I hey, Let's one of those eleven a.m. There's inevitably going to be an eleven a.m. kickoff, and we're going to Brothers afterwards, bud. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm in. All Good right, stuff. episode twelve in the books, Ted. Man, these are just these are flying by, buddy. Flying by. We've done twelve. It doesn't feel like it, but uh, it was good to have Dusty back on. That was fun. That was fun. College football. Yeah, and uh, and I know a lot's going on out there, and we hope that you know we could take your mind off some of that, you know, for a little bit. Uh, we'll have a new podcast that'll drop Thursday morning. Just a reminder: you can hear Teddy from two to six on Sports Talk fourteen hundred. You can hear me on Sirius XM Big Twelve Radio Channel three seventy five. We hope you all have a great week. Until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening. And do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time.